Thank you for choosing iChurch Sermon Podcast. We invite you to get ready, get ready, get ready for what God has to say to you today. You know, I, I want to do something for a second. And um, what I like to do is I like to go back to this story and show you the, the importance of a table. Today we start a new series called At the Table. And as I think about this series, there's something that just pops right into my head. And I want to share it with you. What I want to share with you is this story in the Bible. And it's in the book of um, Second of Kings. And in the book of Kings, chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible talks us about a Shunammite woman. And when it talks about the Shunammite woman, what the Bible talks about, and I'm not going to read it all because there's something I want to teach and I'm, I, want, I don't want to be short on time today. I just want to introduce to you a series we're going to start. And I want to explain to you why I'm going to share it. Now, what I want to share with you is very personal. What I'm going to share to you is something that really applies to my personal life with my family. As we've been together, what has kept us together? And I'm hoping this family series will be imparted upon your life that you'll be able to take it to your grandchildren, to your children. You'll be able to share it with your loved ones. You know, the Bible in Second of Kings, um, the Bible talks to us about this story. And this story, it's actually in Second of Kings chapter 4, verse 10 that stands out. Now, I'm just going to narrate the story for you in a second because there's so many Bible verses I want to get to that I need time. But in Second Kings chapter 4, verse 10, it talks about this Shunammite woman who's a very wealthy woman. Woman and receives the prophet of God. The prophet of God shows up in town and he's traveling through the town. And when he travels, the Bible tells us a story about how this woman wanted the prophet to come into her house. So she builds a chamber for him. When she builds this chamber for him, she's building this house for him. And when she builds this house for him, the Bible specifically talks about something she does in that room she builds for him. The Bible says she places many things in there. Now, I'm not going to mention every single one of them, but there's two that stand out because the two main things. The first thing she puts in that bedroom for this prophet is a bed. And the second thing she puts in there is a table. Now, the Bible says she puts a table and everything else that's described in that Bible verse will go attached to the table. It says that she put a candlestick and she put a stool. When you read this portion, what I want you to be able to understand is that when she talks about this, what she's doing is the Shunammite woman is literally talking about how she built this room. And in this room, I want you to understand that she puts a table. Why, do, what does, this, why does a table stand out most to me? Number one, because you didn't put tables in rooms in that time. It was not a normal thing to do. You would not put a table inside a bedroom. A table was a luxury. So if you had a table, it was in the dining room where people would sit down to eat. But this woman found the need to put a table there. And she didn't just put the table, but the Bible is very specific about her putting a candlelight and about her putting a stool. When you read that, you know what stands out about it? What stands out about it is that she knew the importance of having a table in that room for the prophet of God. She knew that the man of God would go to the word there. So she literally put a table inspiring him to sit down and write what she felt, what he felt. She knew that the prophet of God would study the word and encounter God at that table. And it stands out in my mind because this woman pretty much is inviting She's pretty much calling out and inviting the presence of God to come into that room. That's what she's saying. She's saying, I want the presence of God to come into the room. I want God to be in my house. So she builds a table so the presence of God goes there. Now, what stands out is that 
the desire of this woman for God to be present. You know, I'm going into a series, and as we go into this series at the table, many people have come up to me, and it's been a big challenge for everybody who preaches. Today, the only service I preach is 947. I'm not preaching any other service, and it's being a challenge for all the other speakers, because they're like, why the table, Pastor? And this is what stands out about the table to me. What stands out is that in my house, the table has been crucial for our survival. Getting my wife and my kids, we're a family with four children, and getting my wife and my children all together at the table has been crucial. It is what has my, it was what allowed my family to survive. In the midst of all trouble, we just came out of a series of spiritual warfare, and we talked about how demons attack and how difficult situations come to our lives and how we feel trialed. And many of you were ministered. The ones that were able to sit here, you sat here and you said, yes, I know how Satan comes, and I know how depression knocks on your door, and I know how emotions run through your heart. And we talked about all this, but here's what I want you to picture about. Now, you felt ministered because you know there are tough times you battle. The same tough times you're battling, everybody in your house battles it too. From the smallest child to the oldest one. From your grandchild, from your niece, from your nephew, from your daughter-in-law. To all the mother-in-laws out there. To all the father-in-laws out there. Your daughter-in-law, your son-in-law may have been placed in your life with a big purpose that only you are able to achieve. It's nobody else's. It's you. And when you look at your daughter-in-law or you look at your son-in-law, you have to think, why did God place this person in my life? Maybe I didn't want them. (laughs) Maybe I didn't even like them. But they were still placed in your life. Why were they there? God has a purpose with you working in their lives. So what I realized is that the same battles I'm suffering, my kids are suffering. You know, every time I sit with a young person, I say, what's the biggest struggle in your life? Um, And they're in school. I always get the number one answer, school. That's the biggest struggle in their life. And to every adult, it's like, school, come on, pastor. There's bigger struggles in school. Wait until they hit real life. Well, go back to school. That was real life for them. That is real life. And it is a big struggle. And the peer pressure is there. So, pastor, what are you saying? From, from the senior citizen that sits in a rocking chair in the balcony wondering why nobody comes to visit, to the young man or young girl who's at school trying to figure out who's going to be their friend or not, it struggles. And we all suffer spiritual warfare. So what I'm saying is at the end of the day, everybody gets in their car and drives home. The husband, the wife, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the grandchild, the grandfather, and we drive home. And you've gone through 12 hours of struggle. And when you get home, this is what you're going to encounter. You're going to encounter somebody else in the household suffering, sufferments just like you. But we think in our mind that we're the only ones suffering. But you're going to walk in and everybody's going through something. Pastor, what alleviates that? Well, think about it. It's a ticking bomb. (laughs) You're stressed out. And here's what I've learned in life after 24 years of being a pastor in counseling. You always take it out on the person you should have least taken it out on. There are people that are willing to put up with you that others would not. Because you know, and you're all laughing because you know it's true. You know, and I always use this illustration when I go into marriage counseling. I always use this to prove this. If I, if, I invite, um, if I invite Sister Karen, I say, Karen, I'm going to take you out for some, uh, we're going to go have some yogurt, and frozen yogurt, and we're going to talk, and we're going to have a family trip, and she sits in my car, and we're in the car, and I open the back door for her very politely, and she sits in the car, and we're all going, and we're going on a road trip, and her grandchildren are all going, and my wife's going, we're all going, and she takes the door, and I have my hand, and she grabs it, and you know, do you know those moments where you're holding the door for somebody? 
and they slam. She slams the doors on my finger. As soon as she slams it, my immediate reaction will be, ouch, right? And after ouch, I will hold my fingers. Have you ever gotten your fingers slammed on a door or pinched on a door? And I would be with so much anger and pain, and I'll look at her, and Karen will open up the door, and she'll say, oh, pastor, I'm sorry. And I am almost positive my immediate reaction will be, oh, don't worry, it's okay. However, if my son is in the car with me, And he slams the door on my finger. Same exact scenario. And it hurts me. My immediate reaction will be, what are you so stupid? Why didn't you think? Why didn't you look before you did it? Now, I would do that to my son, who I'm responsible for, for life. Who God put in my hands because it's his property. And God put him in my hands for me to mold him I would do that to him but not for Karen who's just going to have ice cream with me does that make sense so what I'm saying is in the midst of trouble I come home burdened and when I come home and I encounter my family and I sit down and I look at them and it goes all ways guys don't get confused My parents are already older people and they're living alone and they have their own house. And when I go to there and they say things to me, there's sometimes that older parents say things and you say, oh my gosh. And it just drives you crazy. And I hear my father sometimes say things to me. I love salt. And every time I put salt on something, he says, that's why you're sick. And I say, dad, I'm not sick. I'm fine. He says, you're going to get sick. (laughs) And I say, dad, don't declare it. I can have a headache. He says, it's the salt. I could jam my finger on the door, and he'll say, it's the salt. And I'll say, Dad, it's impossible. He'll figure out a way to prove to me that I hit my finger against the corner of the table because of salt. He'll figure it out. He will figure it out. So now every time I toss salt on my food, the first thing I think is, if my dad were here, he'd yell at me. Now I have a married son. And he said, he said, baboon, because he just got married. Give him a couple more years. I, I, and hopefully you'll still say it. Hopefully you'll still say it. It may change from baboon to baboon, but it, it, it'll still, you'll still say it. Here it is. Here it is, guys. Here it is. Here it is what I'm going at. Here it is. When I meet with my parents, I constantly have to come together with them. You know, the favorite season of the year is coming up. My favorite season of the year is Thanksgiving. And here's Thanksgiving for me. Thanksgiving is the favorite season of my year because it's the climax of everything I did during the year. It's not my time to go and give thanks to the Lord for what he's done. If I, wait, if I have to wait for Thanksgiving to say thank you to the Lord, uh, I have some troubles in my life. He's been good to me all year round. But Thanksgiving is the climax of, my, of, my, of, my, of everything I've done in the year because I sit down with my family and I look at them in the eyes and, I, and we carve a turkey and we sit down. It's not about the turkey because there were years there was no turkey and we sit down and, and this is what we do. We sit down, we go around the table and each one says something they're thankful for. And I look at them, and I just regroup. You know what I call it? A huddle. Have you ever seen a basketball team or a baseball team? Have you ever seen a football team that wins without huddling? Never happens. Same thing happens with family. I need to huddle with my parents, even though they live in a separate house. I need to huddle with my kids. Going to the table is huddling. 
You go there just like the Shunammite woman. She brought the prophet in because she knew if God was present at that table, something great would happen. In my house, it happens at the table. Now, don't get me wrong. Your table may be very different from mine. Tables come in many sorts and sizes. Some of you, your table may be the back deck of your house. Some of you, your table may be your bedroom. Some of you, your pastor, what are you talking about? Well, that huddling place, it may be different for everybody. Our table sometimes becomes a living room. Where we sit in the living room all around in, in circles. And I sit there. I, I go to the table with my staff here in church. I go to the table with my leadership here constantly. Pastor, what are you talking about? We meet constantly where I have to look at them and encourage them and lift them up. I need to bring God into the equation of what I'm directing. If you do not bring a pastor who does not bring God into the equation, you say, Pastor, that's impossible. No, it is not impossible. We have hundreds of churches that are operating on systematic, on systematic processes. We do the Sunday school and we come out and we go into church and we do the worship and we go out. You know, today, today I loved worship. I enjoyed it so much. It was so beautiful. Pastor, why did you enjoy your worship so much today? The song starts with a man that stands up, and if you weren't here, says, I almost had a car accident today, and I stopped, and I thought if it was the last day of my life. And at the end, he's saying, oh, how he loves us, how he loves us so. He led us in worship today. He didn't depend on you raising your hands or you agreeing or disagreeing. He didn't depend on lights or sound. He depended on his heart broken. And the praise team followed and they harmonized. And I felt the beauty of praise because they were saying, God, how much do you love us? Thank you for what you do. They were huddling. Sunday morning is huddling time. It's going to the table. This is the table. And it's like that in Scripture. In John, the Bible talks about the table of God. It says that there were people that would go and huddle in the temple of pagan gods. And it talks about those that would go and huddle in God's presence. David understood it. Jesus Christ understood the importance of tables. You know, in Exodus chapter 25, the Bible talks about tables too. In Exodus chapter 25, the Bible talks about, about, about how, they were, how, the, how they, were, they were tables, like the table of showbread. The table of showbread is in the tabernacle. See, in God's house, there always had to be a table. They would put bread on the table, and the bread would be put on the table. And, and the instructions God gave, listen, not man, God gave was, make sure there's always a table with bread in my house. Have it in the center of my presence. Put it up front and let it be there. Because out of the table, they would require bread. And what's bread? Bread, you know, if you read it in Scripture, it's God's provision for sustaining. It's also in the, in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it represents his body. He says, make sure I'm present at your table. Is God present at your table? Does God show up? Because we're going into a series that talks about God being present at your table, wherever that table is. Now, now if you go back in times, table means a lot. In fact... If I go back to history, let me give you a little bit of history. The word table comes from Latin. It doesn't come from a Hebrew or Greek, or Greek background. And when we go back to Hebrew and we go, when we go back to Latin backgrounds and we go to the Latin root word of table, what it really means is tablet. It comes from tablet. And what tables were, were a, 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 it was just a, 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 a straight a horizontal piece of wood or a horizontal piece of, of rock. And what you would do is that they would write on it tablets you would write on it that's what it was used for for latin it was never intended for tables so pastor where do we get that word to use it for tables where we are now we get it because out of the bible in the bible two separate words are used 
Moses goes up into the mountain and asks God for revelation, and God writes on the tablets, the Ten Commandments, and he comes down. The word that's used for tablets is not table. There's another word called shulak, and shulak is used for tables. So the Bible specifies that there was a moment for something where you would write, but there was also a place where you would gather to read what was written. And it, and it, and it specifies that, and it talks about that. With such urgency, with such urgency, the Bible, and when you talk about tables and you talk about, I, I could go, I could talk about Joseph being at the table. I could talk about Benjamin in the scripture in Genesis where it says that he sits at the table and he received a double portion with his family as he gathered. All the way from Genesis, Exodus in the tabernacle, we could switch over. And I could keep on talking about tables and tables and tables in scripture all over. If you put the word table in the Bible, it's going to show up so many times, you're going to say, I can't believe it was in there so many times. In the New Testament, we have Jesus being honored by Martha and Mary. And they, they, they do a dinner for him, and they bring him in. And when they bring him in, their brother Lazarus, the Bible says he reclined on the table. You know why the Bible always says they reclined? Every time you find Bible, a table in the Bible, you see they reclined. You know why they reclined? Because they weren't high tables. They were low tables. You would sit at a low table. It came from an Egyptian tradition. Egyptian tables were very small, and that's where they got it from. You would sit, and you would recline on the table to eat. Or you would lay down. And you would go to the table and eat off the table. That's what you did. You went there to huddle, to gather, to come together. You would recline upon each other. It was a place to come closer. And when you read about the table in the Bible, you see stories like Jesus Christ. He uses the table many times in his parables. He says, he talks about being at the table of the king and the honor it was. If you go, and he talks about how some people came and they didn't sit at the table when they should have and how he removed them from the table. And he says, if you're invited to sit at the table, Jesus talked about the importance of the table. But you know, out of all the tables I could mention to you, I could talk about King Solomon and I could talk about 1 Kings chapter 7. 1 Kings chapter 7 says how King Solomon built the temple and in the temple he had this urgency to place the table. I could talk about all that, but I don't want to do that. I just want to prove to you that it's in Scripture. There's one table that I want to talk about specifically. I want to talk about the table of Passover. Pastor, the table of Passover? Yes, I want to talk to you about the table of Passover. The table of Passover is going to appear in a minute in Exodus chapter 12, 12, verse 1. I'll put it on screen for you. But before I put it up on screen for you, I want you to look at this for a second. I want you to look up at the screen. Passover had something very specific about it. Pastor, what is Passover? For those that don't know, Passover is a critical moment in the people of God in the Old Testament. The people of God were prisoners in Egypt. And being prisoners in Egypt, God was ready to free them. But the Pharaoh was so stubborn, he would not let them go. He would say, you're not going, you're staying here slaves. And a specific given moment, God raises his leader to bring him out, which is Moses. And when he raises his leader to bring him out, the last, last sign to let them go. They had gone through plagues. They had gone through a whole bunch of signs. And the Pharaoh would be stubborn and say, no, you're staying slaves. You will not be able to go. He holds them back. And then the last thing that happens is that God brings Passover. God says, I'm bringing a spirit. And the spirit I'm bringing will go through the city, and it's going to be chaotic. Everybody will die. All children will die. Not everybody. All children will die. And he says, and if you want me to pass over your house, that's where Passover comes over. If you want me to pass over your house, there's something you must do. This is what you're going to do. You're going to grab a lamb. He says, you're going to grab a lamb, and you're going to take that lamb, and you're going to gather with your family. You're going to sacrifice it. Now, when you kill the lamb, what you're going to do is you're going to take the blood of the lamb, and you're going to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And that's going to be a sign that you have honored God. 
when you take the blood of the lamb, you will gather your family and take them to the table. He says, take them to the table and sit down with them. And when you sit down with them, everybody will have a portion of the lamb acknowledging the blood and the protection. And then you will share the meal together. Come together as a group at the table and acknowledge it. While that's happening, the Spirit will come down. And if He sees that you are at the table with your family sharing the blood and the, la- and the blood is over the doorpost, you have been obedient. I will pass over you the tragedy. I will not let the tragedy touch you. In the book of Exodus chapter 12 verse 1, I'm going to go there and read with you guys a little bit. These days, specifically in chapter, um, chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord gives instructions to Moses. And he says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell your whole community of Israel that the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family. He says, everybody take it and go with your family. And you can read it later at home. Keep on reading it all down as it will show you everything I said for each one of the household. In verse 14, the Bible says, this is, look what's happening at this table. Look what's happening. Look what's happening at the table. Look what's happening at Passover. Verse 14, this is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. He says, this is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come. What the Bible's saying is, when you meet at the table, what you are doing honoring God, if you bring me in and you make a lamb the priority, what is happening, he's saying what is happening is that your generations will be blessed. Stop for a second. You know why I meet with my children constantly? You know why I meet with my wife? You know why we do it? We do it once a week. We stop. Once a week, we'll have devotional together. We'll share the word together. We'll try to eat at least three times a week together at the table, all holding hands. We pray together. Pastor, why? Because you're religious? No, because I want my generations to commemorate the presence of their God. I want them to take it on to their generations. You know, last night my son was preaching to the Spanish leadership. We had a Spanish leadership retreat, and he's preaching to them. And when he finishes, he came in, he came in really late. He came in at 6 o'clock to preach, and he left right after. Normally, he would be here the whole day, but he came in late and left early because he has a wife to attend to, and life is changing his life. And then when he leaves, he's talking about how he preached the night before. He preached Friday night. He preaches today. At, he preached yesterday. He'll preach today twice. Today, he'll preach at the 12-12 Spanish service, which is right after this one. He'll preach again at 6 o'clock. So he's full of all these preaching engagements. And he's taking over. And this is what's happening. What I want you to understand. When, out of everything he said, there was one thing that ministered to me the most. He taught the, the Hispanics. He had a very hardcore lesson that, that most of you guys and me would not understand. But it was very hardcore. I mean, he brought pure, pure meat. And it was incredible. It blew our minds away. Um, Karen was there. Chucky and Vidal were there. They could testify about this. It was mind-blowing. And he confronted everybody about where we are in our relationship on serving God. And when he's done, he says, and I want you to understand something. I, You guys could complain about all your work in the Lord. But listen, I've had to preach today and I have to preach tomorrow and I have to preach Sunday and he's saying and you know what I'm not complaining about it I'm enjoying the moment but you know what I did after I left here last night with the youth and I went he's telling them about what he did Friday and I went home I went home to my wife and I was here preaching and for the first time and it hit me if for the first time I'm here preaching and I was just dying to go home and see my wife he had that desire to see her 
And I thought that was beautiful. Then he says, and when I made it home, and this is what, this is what, put, this is what made everything great for me. He said, and when I made it home, it was like 10 at night, and when I made it home, we sat together, did devotional, prayed, and went to bed. He's set up for success. Why? That's his table. Now, I don't know if they were physically sitting at a table. I don't know if they were in the bedroom. I don't know if they were in the living room. But they were setting up for success. They were saying, I can't do this without God. It doesn't matter what type of job you have. It doesn't matter where you go. I don't care if you work in a personal company or you work under somebody or if you're on the road or if you're at home. You will encounter tribulations and tough times. And you need to be able to group everybody up. You need to acknowledge the Lamb. You need to get them to. It's all the way in the Old Testament. And it shows us how they did this because it would bring blessing upon their generations. Do you want your family and your kids and your grandchildren? Do you, want, do you want your mom and your dad to honor God that way? Here, let me share something with you. My father comes from a very Catholic background. I, I, I was Catholic very little time, and then I was Jehovah's Witness, and I converted to Jesus Christ, and the rest of my life, all I've known is the gospel. But my father has a very Catholic background, and, it's, and, and he has this thing when he prays. When we get together, my father probably has the lowest intimacy with God and spiritual knowledge of all the family. Everybody else. We have all pastors and preachers, and my dad is the least of them. He's just a funny, downright guy. And he comes down, he goes to the table, and this is how we do it. Every Thanksgiving that he's present, no matter how many pastors are in the room, no matter how many of us are deacons or serving or are surrendered or ordained, we say, Father, pray for us. And he prays. And in Spanish, his prayer goes something like this. How is it, Jose? Amantísimo y Padre Celestial. Beloved Father who art in heaven. He starts speaking King, King James Version. Now, here's what I want you to understand. It may not be funny to you guys because you guys don't know my dad. But if I were to describe my dad um, in North American hickory style, he's just right up country guy all rough and tough. So imagine a guy talking like this, if you, and he just says, well, we're going all out. Come on, guys, let's go. Shut up. Come on. He's that type of rough guy. So then he goes to the prayer table, and when he's all, he's all this, and all right, dad, pray. Beloved Father who art in heaven, that will be thy name. And we just, and at the table, there's this constant, there's this constant just jittering of laughter around us in silence, but nobody, he'll never know it. He'll never know. We all hold hands and everybody starts. We know how he's going to start the prayer. We know he's going to say, beloved Father who art in heaven. We know it. We know it. So he starts. We all close our eyes. And if I open one eye, I look at all my children. I look at my wife. We're all doing this. We all know. Because that's the way he prays. And he does it. And pastor, what are you saying with this? You know, pastor, why do you let him pray then? One, because he's head of the household. Number two. Because it's my job to even honor my father when he's present with me. And I'm bringing him to the table. You know how we all made it to the gospel? Being Jehovah's Witness? Because my father received healing, which I didn't believe in back then. He received healing listening to a Baptist woman preacher on TV. Yeah, I know. Figure that one out, right? He received healing. And we all ended up in the gospel. We all grew. We all became ministers of God. We all served God. All, all his children served God. And he's the least of us. 
But here's something that he does to this day. If we sit at the table and we're about to eat, he looks at me. And if I prayed before him seeing, I could be a pastor. If I prayed before him seeing me, he comes over and says, he knocks my head and says, did you pray? I could say, dad, I'm a pastor. Dad, dad, of course I prayed. I, I, I just have to say, yes, sir. He'll still watch me. I'm not talking about prayer at food. What I'm saying, guys, is that we're coming close to a season that we do something. We're going to celebrate it on one day. And I want to try to teach you this month the importance of what could happen at that table. doesn't matter what age you are. I want to show you the importance of what happens. I want to teach you something that my parents instilled in me and I instilled in my children or my children, hopefully my grandchildren. And I'll do over my grandchildren. I do over my parents. It goes up and down, back and forth. You have to bring, you have to understand that to have success in your marriage, to have success in your life, in in anything, in anything you do at work, when you have a table and you bring the family in, and the table is just symbolism of a place to meet where God's presence dwells, you call out upon it, it will not fail. You can have the hardest ache, the worst problem, it will not fail. The Bible says it went into generations. Now, if I read, and I'm not going to read it because of time, but you could read it at home. Verse 21, verse 22, verse 23 talks about all the process that I explained earlier. And then I want you to look at verse 31. Look at what happens in the midst of trouble. Look at what happens when chaos is about to hit. Look at verse 31, Exodus 12, 31. Look what happens when you go to that table, when you meet, when you gather in the presence of God as a family, as a church, as an organization, at work. Look what happens. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. And after his stubbornness and after saying no, 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 he says, get up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. What seems impossible becomes possible. What seems that's never going to happen will happen when you gather at the table. Now, now I'm about to end here, but before I end, because I'm just introducing what we're going to teach about. You say, so pastor, what's the series about? Is it about just praying? You're telling us to pray and to meet as a family. That's fine, but what does it mean? No, I want to show you one last thing. I want to take you to the book of Luke chapter 22, verse 1. And in the book of Luke chapter 22, verse 1, I want to show you an important moment of the table. I want to show you one of the most important moments that stand out in all scripture about the table. Luke 22, verse 1 says, now the festival of the unleavened bread called the Passover. Now it's the Passover, but in New testament okay was approaching the time of passover they would still honor the moment that god freed him the one we just read and then in verse two it says and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of jesus they were looking for some way to get what rid of jesus for they were afraid of the people they knew the people loved god but they wanted to kill jesus look at verse three then satan entered judas called Iskaran, one of the 12. Verse 4, Satan takes over a Christian body. You say, Pastor, it wasn't a Christian body. It was demonization or demon-possessed. What I want you to understand is that Satan entered the scene. He was one of the 12 closest. The people closest to you can get attacked by spirits. I'm not saying they're going to possess you, but I am saying your family, your daughter. Your, that's why you have 12-year-old little kids wanting to commit suicide. You know, I, I went up the stairs. I'm, I'm, true, true story. This is just two days ago. I'm, I'm laying in bed, and when I'm laying in bed, I just have this urge inside of me. 
It was, like, it was like three days ago. I had an urge inside of me. And this urge said, get up. Get up. And, it, and it's late. It's like 2 a.m. And I had already fallen asleep. And it says, get up. Get up. And I said, God, do you want me to pray? I mean, get up. Get up. And I get out of bed. And he says, go up your stairs. Go upstairs. And I sleep on the bottom floor. My kids sleep on the top floor. And I go upstairs. And as soon as I go upstairs, I make it there. He says, open the doors. I open the first door. I open the second door. One of my sons is away in college. The other one got married. I open the second door. The little one's sleeping. I open up the third room. My daughter, Sarah, is awake. She's got her iPad on. So in the morning, school night. And, and I knew that was wrong. So I said, Sarah, what are you doing? He said, oh, no, we're off tomorrow. No, blah, 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 blah. I said, no, 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 no. You, 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 you're, you're, you're at 11 o'clock, 11 years old. You're not watching a, an iPad at 2 o'clock in the morning. So turn it off. He says, okay, Dad, I will do it. She turns it off. I go downstairs, go to sleep. Last night, somebody kicked the heat on in my house. We haven't put the heat on. We're trying to keep it off because we like cold air. And plus, I'm very cheap and we're saving money. But anyway, what I'm doing is we have a nice, comfortable atmosphere. And here's what happens. Um, I feel, I smell, I smell. Somebody kicked the heat on and I smelled something was burning. Well, obviously, when you kick the heat on the first time of the year, you know, when you kick it on that first time, it kind of lets a little bit of fumes out, like the metal, the heating. And I felt the heat and I said, something's burning. And I look at the clock and it's 3 a.m. in the morning. I jump out of bed. And I said, I look, and, and when I felt the heat coming out, oh, I said, it's just the heat. So I go back to bed. And when I go back to bed, God says, no, I'm waking you up. And I say, why? He goes, go upstairs. So I get out of bed. This is last night. I get out of bed. And God says, go upstairs. So I go upstairs. And when I start hitting the stairway, he says, slowly. I go, slowly. And slowly. And slowly. And slowly. Make it to the bedroom. I open up the door. And when I open the door, Sarah's got the iPad on at 3 or 4 in the morning. At this point, I said, Sarah, I thought we had talked about this. Now I'm going to have to take the iPad away from you because we had spoken about this. She says, no, Dad, no, Dad. It's, it's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She feels really, 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 really bad. We have really good communication. She says, I feel really, really bad. Then I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. Yeah, I know, I know. So I'm going to turn away, and right there it hits me. Grab the iPad and look at it. I turn around and say, give me the iPad. Turn around, I say, give me the iPad. And she's watching this series uh, that... Um, I can't even think of the name right now, but it's not edifying. You know, it's like a, it's like a, not, not, she's not seeing pornography or anything like that, but it's, it's just a series. We're very cautious what we watch, and it's not a cautious thing. It's not an 11 thing, your 11 girl, 11 year old should be watching. It's like kind of a soap opera and, and something, uh, I think it's Mary's Virginity or something like that it's called. I can't think of it, but it's a series. Huh? Jane the Virgin. There you go, not Mary Jane. <laughs> I'm very, very off. He's cracking up saying, it's Jane the Virgin. Okay, now how do you know that? No, I'm getting a... No, no. But here it is. Here it is. She's watching this series. And so it's like a soap opera thing. It's re, I, I looked it all up last night. It's recreated from a Hispanic soap opera. And there was a Hispanic soap opera. And they made it. And it's about this girl who uh, uh, gets um, pregnant. And then every, all the boys and they turn whatever. And I'm watching it. It's like a kid thing. But it's not for my kid. And pastor, what are you saying? Satan's visiting my daughter through the iPad at 3 o'clock in the morning in the bedroom. And why are you saying this, pastor? Because you will go through the same thing with your wife, with your husband, with your grandchildren. And what I'm saying is what makes the difference is Satan Satan came and attacked Judas, one of the twelve. And everybody looks at Judas like a bad guy. Without Judas, we have no cross. Without no cross, we have no redemption. Pastor, what are you saying? He's good. I'm saying he was used as a tool. But what I am saying is that it also teaches me that you are vulnerable and so am I. Our kids are vulnerable. Our family's up there. 
How can you guarantee me? I've seen the best of families do the best of things and still mess up their families and everything goes wrong. And then they sit down and say, why did it happen? Satan walked in and grabbed Judas. And Judas went to the chief priest of the officer of the temple guard and discussed with him how he might betray Jesus. He didn't say how he might. He actually betrayed him. Now, he comes off of betraying Jesus, and as soon as he comes off, he walks up to the disciples, and when he's there, Jesus, is a, Jesus was just betrayed by one of his own and attacked. And look at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, of which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat at the Passover. They answered, where do you want us to prepare it, Messiah? This right after it. It's, it's simultaneous, okay? They asked, where do you want us to prepare it? I mean, we're always walking around. We have nowhere to go. And Jesus replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, the teacher, the Messiah, he, he asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover of my disciples? He's setting up a table for dinner. Verse 12. He, he will also, he, he will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. He sends the disciples off. They go. They're preparing the Lord's Supper. They're getting ready, and they're putting everything in place. Now, I don't have time now, but if I continue to read it with you, you're going to see that a couple of verses down, what happens is that they sit, the Bible says they sit at the table. And reclining at the table, he meets with them. Pastor, when? Right before he was about to get crucified. Now, here's a question. Do I need to put on screen images of the passion of Christ where Christ is being crucified so you can know how much pain it takes? Or can you just imagine it without it? He's about to go through pain and difficulty. Disciples are about to go crazy. And this is what Jesus does. When he knows he's being betrayed by Judas, when he knows things are going wrong, when he knows he's going to be good, he says, guys, come together. We need to meet at a table. Let's sit down at Passover. He brings them in because he understands the power. And at the table, he's about to do some miraculous things. He's going to take wine and he's going to take bread. And each one of these things means so much that if you pay attention, Jesus is giving us instructions on how to survive spiritual warfare with our family. Jesus is telling us, how do you get your marriage to survive? How do you get out of this rut? Jesus is telling you how to come home with all this, listen to me, with all this burden from work, with all these worries about your family how to group up and how to fix them and that is a series a family series called at the table and this month we're going to teach you all the different things that you need to start implementing in your home to see it radically change and i'm going to help you take you there i'm going to show you every week something different next week you're going to come and we're going to show you the first thing that they did but here's my thing you could leave this building and walk out of here and say it's just another series or you could walk out of here and do what David did in Psalm 23 5 David chants out a praise and worship to God and look what he says to God he says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies presence of who my enemies. look what God does he anoints my head with oil and his what his cup overflows. The cup, the table, Jesus, the Passover, Old Testament, New Testament. Pastor, what are you saying? There is this ultimate power at the table that's going to transform your family because God has prepared a table. God wants to bless you. 
David was saying, God, you prepared a table for me. You put all this for me. I need to take advantage of it. And so do you. Please close your eyes, bow your heads, and allow me to pray. If you would like to learn more about iChurch OKA Ministries, please visit our website at www.ichurchoka.com.